Hello, my name is Noel Taylor. I'm happy uh, to be standing here today after um, we, we started this choir uh, more than 20 years ago now. It's pretty amazing. We just had our, our big 20th anniversary gala, so thank you so much. And to all the listeners out there in Chicagoland, a great big hello from Grafton Pub. And uh, this one's for you. guessed that song is about a, uh, a barge hauler and some of you if you think uh, and I'm talking to you guys out there in the world uh, if you hear um, Russian folk song and barge hauler you might think hey which is a terrific song about Russian barge haulers but this one uh, is also about that very difficult profession and it was guys basically slaves who were made to haul barges upstream using only the power of their legs and back. They did not live very long in this profession. And so this song that we just sang is the 
the, the swan song, the dying cry of one of these barge haulers as he goes down for the last time and pleads for one of his friends uh, on the, essentially the chain gang to, to bury him and plant his, the tree from his native country there. That song and a lot of other songs which share a kind of dissonance, the, that harmonic dissonance that you heard throughout is a hallmark of um, the folk songs of the Simieski uh, old believers. And um, we got to know them, uh, some of their descendants, that is. And I'm not going to go into the whole history, but there's a split in the Russian church, uh, the Raskol. And uh, the official church decides to go one way um, in terms of running the worship service uh, in a way that they decided was more in keeping with um, the Greek text in the Bible. And they felt that the Russian Orthodox Church, as it was, had, had drifted away from... The, the correct methods of worship. But those who did not go along with those changes became known as old believers and got persecuted throughout the Russian Empire. Some of them uh, fled to Poland, or what, was, what is now Poland, uh, and they were able to stay there for uh, about 100 years. And then they uh, were exiled again, and this time they were pushed out to Siberia around the area of Lake Baikal, which is where their descendants live to this day, and some of those descendants are friends of ours, and they sing in a group called Sudbinishka, who we uh, have been out to visit now three times, this group. And uh, we learned that song from them, and that's one of the songs that they have been singing for all this time. There are hundreds of years of history. Uh, we should also talk a little bit about the group and how it formed. So uh, this goes back to my own personal history. My name's Noel Taylor. I started the group in 1997. Uh, that was the year I moved to Chicago to be a graduate student at the University of Chicago. But the year before that, I had been singing in a Russian folk choir. In Russia, you ask? No, actually, in Germany. Um, but that was where I happened to be living at the time, and they had a great uh, Russian folk choir at the University of Freiburg, and I started hanging around with those guys. And um, then when I moved to Chicago, I wanted to keep singing those songs. So. I was very lucky. I, I, I met some very talented people all those years ago, two of whom are here tonight, which is uh, Matthew Dean and Carl Fogel have been in the group since the very beginning, and they're still with us. Uh, so it's, it's a great thing to have this music that keeps, you know, keeps people interested after all that time. Um, but at any rate, I'd started singing with this German-Russian choir, and they were friends with the Siberians who I just mentioned. And so it was through that German group uh, that... I met those, the, the Siberian group, Sudbinishka. So when I founded this choir, it was done with a sort of combination of repertoires, uh, both from the German group that I'd been singing with in 1996, and then later with, uh, from, with some songs from Sudbinishka. And that was kind of the status quo for about 10 years, and then I, I couldn't take it anymore, but luckily uh, Tammy was there um, to pick up the baton, as I hope she will now do with this microphone. <laughs> No baton, really, though, because it's folk music. Um, well, I'll take us into our next song, if that's okay. Uh, so we're going to do, um, this is a Cossack song. So if you, I'm sure you've heard of the Cossacks, but maybe you don't know exactly what they were. Um, the Cossacks were basically the hired army of the Russian Empire. Um, and so the Cossack folk 
tradition and classic music can be found all over uh, modern Russia. They intersected with all kinds of other cultures, including the Semesky, including, um, you'll hear about like the Don Cossacks who are out in sort of the western part of Russia. So the song we're going to sing is called Malchik, which means the boy. And like many Cossack songs, it's uh, pretty much about how awesome the Cossacks are and how great they are in battle, how glorious, how awesome Russia is. This song is, uh, it, it is quite violent actually. It is mostly about, it, it is mostly about how, A, how great the Cossacks are, but B, how, how violently they will kill their enemies. Um, but you would never know that from hearing it because Cossack songs tend to be, unlike some of the songs that we sang earlier, they tend to be very regular, very major chordy, and quite easy to dance to. So I hope you like it. While Tammy puts the accordion on, I thought I'd say a word about some of the folk instruments that we use. My name is Matthew Dean. I helped Noel start the choir in 1997. Where do musicians meet in Chicago? All sorts of different places. And the two of us met singing In Jesus Christ Superstar, which has some current resonance from the <laughs> online production and at the Lyric Opera going on right now. Um, in 2001, we made the first trip as a group to Siberia, uh, to the shores of Lake Baikal, to visit our friends. And on the way back, we went through Moscow, and at the Arbat, which is the market, we bartered for our first accordion, which is no longer in the group, precursor of one of the instruments that Tammy's going to use. There's a small squeeze box that's called a garmoshka, and then there's the larger one that's called the bayan. And Tammy's, Tammy's going to play a more of a Western, a Western accordion <laughs> that's been been in the group for some, some years. So here's Malchik with Tammy on the accordion. <laughs>
about the kind of tradition of these songs. Are they songs that you would still hear people performing kind of authentically or are they, is it more, you know, like a folk choir tradition like this or how does it work? Um, to be honest, we're still kind of learning that. Um, and, and the question of the word authentically is, you know, very loaded in a lot of folk circles and certainly loaded for us. Um, we, we spent... This past uh, summer we, well, it's not really, it is the past summer, but it's not that recent now. We uh, spent some time in Siberia and we kind of grappled with what, what, what is authentic Russian folk music when you're talking about traditions that came into being a couple of hundred years ago and exist today mostly in a performative context. Like, what does it mean for us to have not come from that tradition, but to try to learn as much as we can about it and to try to represent it in a way that is authentic to us? Um, so certainly the Cossack songs, I would say, are 
very widely sung and performed. There's a certain, I don't know if this is right, but there seems to be like a nationalism about them. Um, I think that people in many parts of Russia would would know a lot of different Cossack songs. Um, the Simiski songs, I I really don't. Um, yeah, the Sudvinishka again. I keep coming back to have have often said that even other Russians don't know those particular songs, at least not sung in that way. And there's another interesting aspect to this whole question of authenticity, which is that oftentimes you'll you you can consider two songs to be quote unquote the same because they share mostly the same text or kind of the same text, but the musical aspect of it can be very different, even in just two towns that are 100 miles apart. And so the question of which, which is the right one is, becomes a largely meaningless question. So uh, even the way that we sing our songs, having learned them from our, our friends around Lake Baikal, was, you know, we were called out for not being authentic enough when we went to uh, stay this past summer in a very tiny village called Davidova, which is um, uh, just uh, to the northeast, I believe, is that right, of Moscow? Um, anyway, it's about 100 miles out of Moscow or so. And they have a, a wonderful little community there, which, among other things, um, they, everyone who's, who's staying there for the summer, and Russians come from all over to, to stay and, and visit in this community, there, there's a very strong folk song element there, and they have their own um, specialists there who are, who are teaching the folk songs to their own people. And so we went and visited them, and they said, oh, you guys are, are much too polished. You sound like, a, like, you know, like an organ um, in terms of the precision of the chords, and it's, 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 too, it's too polished. It needs to be rougher. So we, we kind of worked on, I don't know, trying to be less, uh, <laughs> less precise. But, yeah, to them we weren't uh, as authentic as they were, but maybe to somebody else, you know. Certainly when we perform around in Illinois, they say, oh, you're, you're incredibly authentic. To be fair to us, I mean, they said the same thing about the people who taught us the songs, yeah, which is exactly. Sudbinishka, who are, you know, they're the descendants of the Simiski people. So if they don't represent Simiski music, who does? I don't know. Uh, so it's, it's an ongoing question that we grapple with. Um, the next song that we're going to sing is uh, one that sort of represents a song that might have been sung um, sort of organically in the home. It only uh, features women. So there's a number of songs that feature just men or just women. And uh, I'm only speculating, but I assume this is because uh, women and men find themselves, you know, working or living together and they, and they just sing their songs, they arise. So this is called Nisidila Bidunya, Dunya Wouldn't Rest. Um, it doesn't tell very much of a story, but it's just about um, a girl who's having a restless night and she can't sleep. You know, I want to ask about the kind of tradition of these songs. Are they songs that you would still hear people performing kind of authentically, or are they, is it more, you know, like a folk choir tradition like this, or how does it work? Um, to be honest, we're still kind of learning that. Um, and, and the question of the word authentically is, you know, very loaded in a lot of folk circles, and certainly loaded for us. Um, we, we spent... This past uh, summer we, well, it's not really, it is the past summer, but it's not that recent now. We uh, spent some time in Siberia and we kind of grappled with what, what, what is authentic Russian folk music when you're talking about traditions that came into being a couple of hundred years ago and exist today mostly in a performative context. Like, what does it mean for us to have not come from that tradition, but to try to learn as much as we can about it and to try to represent it in a way that is authentic to us? Um, 
So certainly the Cossack songs, I would say, are very widely sung and performed. There's a certain, I don't know if this is right, but there seems to be like a nationalism about them. Um, I think that people in many parts of Russia would would know a lot of different Cossack songs. Um, the Siminsky songs, I I really don't know that they are sung very much. No, they're not. Oh. Um, yeah, the Sudovinishka, again, I keep coming back to, have, have often said that even other Russians don't know those particular songs, at least not sung in that way. And there's another interesting aspect to this whole question of authenticity, which is that oftentimes you'll... S- you, you can consider two songs to be quote-unquote the same because they share mostly the same text or kind of the same text, but the musical aspect of it can be very different even in just two towns that are 100 miles apart. And so the question of which, which is the right one is, becomes a largely meaningless question. So uh, even the way that we sing our songs, having learned them from our, our friends around Lake Baikal, was, you know, we were called out for not being authentic enough when we went to uh, stay this past summer in a very tiny village called Davidova, which is um, uh, just uh, to the northeast, I believe, is that right, of Moscow? Um, anyway, it's about 100 miles out of Moscow or so. And they have a, a wonderful little community there, which, among other things, um, they everyone who's who's staying there for the summer and Russians come from all over to, to stay and, and visit in this community. There, there's a very strong folk song element there and they have their own um, specialists there who are, who are teaching the folk songs to their own people. And so we went and visited them and they said, oh, you guys are, are much too polished. You sound like a, like, you know, like an organ um, in terms of the precision of the chords and it's, 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 too, it's too polished. It needs to be rougher. So we, we kind of worked on I don't know, trying to be less, uh, <laughs> less precise. But, yeah, to them we weren't uh, as authentic as they were, but maybe to somebody else, you know, certainly when we perform around in Illinois, they say, oh, you're, you're incredibly authentic. To be fair to us, I mean, they said the same thing about the people who taught us the songs, yeah, which is Sudbinishka, exactly. who are, you know, they're the descendants of the Siminsky people, so if they don't represent Siminsky music, who does? I don't know. Uh, so it's it's an ongoing question that we grapple with. Um, the next song that we're going to sing is uh, one that sort of represents a song that might have been sung um, sort of organically in the home. It only uh, features women. So there's a number of songs that feature just men or just women. And uh, I'm only speculating, but I assume this is because uh, women and men find themselves, you know, working or living together and they and they just sing their songs, they arise. So this is called Nisidila Bidunya, Dunya Wouldn't Rest. Um, it doesn't tell very much of a story, but it's just about um, a girl who's having a restless night and she can't sleep. When you go and visit, how, what kind of relationships do you form with the people? Um, are, you, are you guys Russian speakers, or how does that go? So as we spoke about, we went back this past summer, and um, my name is Lauren, I'm not Tammy or Noel. Um, but so it was my first time going there, and it was a really interesting experience because um, Noel has formed uh, quite a relationship with this choir, but going there for the first time, there's an amazing sense of community around this music and about around the people who perform this music. And um, we not only did some formal concerts and um, performed both in Tarbogatai, which is the, the town that they live in, but also in the nearby city, Ulan Uday. And uh, 
we also found ourselves um, screaming, singing this music out of the windows of cars at two in the morning. So, you know, there was, um, there was a, a wonderful sense of community around this music, and we have a great time when we go there. We learn new songs, we learn um, how to sing the way that they sing, because it's a really different kind of vocal production. Um, and generally, we learn what, um, what life looks like in the, what we consider the sort of middle of nowhere in the Russia, um, but what is, they, yeah, they consider it that too. But, um, but we learn a lot about, um, about what this music means to them, what this, this type of singing means to them, how so much of what we encounter in this music is the same for them as it is for us. So it's a really lovely, true cultural exchange because we also sang a bunch of American pop songs for them. <laughs> and it was wonderful. What does this music mean What does this music mean to them? And I'm going to bug you about what pop songs you guys sang also. Same. <laughs> yes, we can, we can talk about the pop songs. Um, so... <laughs> When we got there, we, um, we all sort of split up and different members of the choir stayed with different members of their choir. Um, and my husband and I had the fortune to stay with a couple who's around our age and who in many ways live a life that's very similar to ours, actually. And for them, this music really represented their cultural identity and the, the music that they grew up listening to and the music that they continued would survive for the next generation. And I think that um, for the people that we were staying with and the people that we met, it's a really important thing to know that this music will live on beyond them, the way that it has lived on beyond their ancestors. And um, they love that we sing it and that we pass it on to more people. There's another group in France who also sings this music, um, who also goes to visit Tsugminushka. And um, yeah, if, if, if you're listening French choir who also sings this music, we'd love to get in touch. But, um, but no, it's, it's an important piece of their cultural identity. What were the pop songs? What were the pop songs? We sang. Shake it off. Yeah, yeah, we did that. I want you back. I want you back was our big hit. I get around. That was a really good one. We did some American folk songs too. We did Shenandoah. Yeah, so we have a great tradition of going there and singing Shenandoah, which they have also learned and have sung back to us, which is a really wonderful experience. Um, it's like yes, as as Todd says, it's like taking a picture of a picture of a picture. Um, no, it, it's, it's wonderful to go there and sort of cha uh, trade folk traditions and popular traditions and just all manner of things. As you know, if you get two choirs together at two in the morning, all sorts of things happen. So. Maybe some of you individually want to talk, what attracted you to this type of music? Uh, so my name is Carl. I was um, one of the early members along with uh, Noel Taylor and Matt Dean. Uh, two things. One, I mean, the first time that I heard this particular repertoire when Noel brought it back from um, uh, Siberia. Two things about it really stuck out to me. I have, I have some classical music training. One was just the, the really intense emotionality of it. I mean, the, the lyrics in one of the songs you just sang were sort of like uh, a woman is singing, you know, you've, to her boyfriend, you've 
you've had your way with me, you've, you've ruined me, now marry me, and he's singing, go back home. Go back home and live with your parents. It's, <laughs> it's a brutal rejection, but it's taking place in this very intense, um, harmonically rich uh, uh, setting that, that really grips you. But the other interesting thing about the music is it's, it has actually a lot of musical complexity and, and multiple voice, polyphonic complexity, which is, uh, at least in, in the West, kind of unusual in folk music. Um, I think that is less unusual in Eastern Europe and in Russia. Um, and for, for Simiesky singers, it's very normal to ex- experience high levels of polyphony and multiple voices clashing in a song and, and working their way through it together. Um, so it's, it's sort of intellectually and emotionally interesting. What, what strikes me about, about when we say a music is polyphonic, like that can mean a bunch of different things. Like in classical music, that oftentimes just means that there's more than one voice happening. But for Simiesky music, I, and I can't think of another example off the top of my head, but like you would be hard-pressed to say, what is the melody of one of these songs? Every single person has a melody, and every m- melodic line carries equal weight. So every person can sort of own the song and sort of embrace the song and be the song in their own way. That's what I like about it. And just adding to that also, I wanted to point out that this we are also in the West used to a tradition of um, the song goes this way and this is your line and you learn your line and then you sing it that way. And that's absolutely not the, the tradition that, that these songs come out of, but rather it is, and Tammy just mentioned, an, an improvisational tradition. And the whole idea of these tight and crunchy dissonances comes out of that too, because as you've got whatever people happen to be around that evening singing songs together, they're going to play around with it. And when you've been singing these songs long enough and you feel comfortable enough with how it's, you know, with what's going to happen next, you know, more or less, you can start to improvise and introduce new harmonies into it and you will go you will try to make something that's like nice and crunchy and dissonant um it makes it more fun (laughs) how do you guys kind of uh balance between the different singers when you're i mean i I assume as it being kind of like a full voiced way of singing that there's kind of the temptation just to everybody sing at the top of their lungs is and, and it works if that's what it is but is there kind of how do you work out your parts when you're practicing so what we're doing is a type of vocal production that has a really sharp sound but we spend a lot of time when anyone joins the choir learning exactly how to make it so we have a lot of exercises that we do to sort of take what we think of as a classical um western voice and sort of push it up into our nose and push it up into the front of our face to make this verse this particular type of sound and it's a a type of sound that you can really sing very loudly without sort of blowing out your voice it's not yelling it's not screaming it is a type of of singing that um that's not hurting our vocal cords or not not doing anything that feels unnatural but that can be soft or loud um while still having that sort of strong um sharp tone for those of you who come from more uh, trained musical backgrounds is it hard to get used to singing differently or do you fall into it fairly easily I think that one of the things about having having a trained musical background is that you sort of you know what to do with your mouth and what to do with your throat to make different sounds. So I think just being versatile is is very helpful. 
Is it what? Sorry. Oh yeah, Matt should talk about this. Coming from a, class, a trained classical uh, perspective, one of the most healthy aspects of what we do is sing on the breath. We sing with full, what would be called diaphragmatic support. It's a kind of sound that you can't produce unless you have a belly full of wind. It resonates in a different place. So for those of us trying to sing bel canto, getting things to resonate uh, high in the head, this is something that's much more forward in the head, but it's something that is meant to carry over a long distance when you're outside and to match pitch and tone with people that are at some distance from you. So one of the things that I find doing this is that it's less vocally fatiguing than some other styles of singing that many of us do. Uh, there is some therapy uh, aspect both to the choir community and to the actual music that we're singing together. It's this shared labor and that's the context in which the music arose culturally. And so being able to channel that to have kind of the flow experience of making this music with these friends is something you can't beat in any other project around. And that's no joke about there being big spaces. I don't know if any of you have been to Siberia, but like one person's house might be like half a mile away from another. And I, I, I don't know that they shout to each other from half a mile away, but man, oh man, those people over there have loud voices and, and they develop them for a real reason. And, and it, all, it all ties together. Like the, the music really makes sense when you see the landscape and the context that they sing it in. What? Thanks. I just wanted to add that one thing that was knocked off our choir's bucket list uh, when we were in Russia last summer was that as we sang, we did a performance in the village of Davidova, and one of the people who had been working with us on our tone and our production, Grigori, he couldn't be at our performance in the village because he had to be tending the sheep a half mile away. And after our performance, he came up to us and he said, you know, at the dinner, he said, Oi, I heard you guys. You were good. <laughs> and he said, yes, we did it. You guys want to do another song? Absolutely. All right. Speaking of Davidova, this is a, a, a song that we learned there just this summer. Um, I'm, I'm honestly not sure what folk tradition, if you could name one, that it comes from, um, but we learned it from them, so to us it will always be a Davidova song. Um, it's, it's part of sort of a trope of Russian songs, which I think of as the sad bride songs. Um, and there's many songs which feature uh, a young girl who's about to be married off to someone she's probably just met and they're oftentimes about how she wants to kill her future husband or run away and it's always lamenting to her sister and her mother about how they're getting rid of her and she feels terrible. Um, so this is called Kakletiela Kalina Strela and I hope you like it. Как летела, ой, лекалина, ой,
in the next. Oh, sorry. Can I? That's the fake mic. That's the fake mic. I'll ask. Um, so the next song is another one in the in the Sad Bride canon, but I want to give a shout out to um, the choir that we got it from, which is the Yale Slavic Choir, um, a group of wonderful women at Yale University who sing music of several different Slavic traditions, particularly uh, South Slavic, Bulgarian, Macedonian music, and a lot of Russian songs too. Um, this song is called Stogarit. Uh, it, it starts with a, a very sort of existential question, which is, what burns but never burns out? And then the, the bride again, uh, you know, says, uh, oh, the matchmakers are coming and soon I'll be married to a horrible, ugly man. But it's, very, it's a departure in, um, in terms of the harmonic production. Uh, it's, you'll see that it sounds much different from the other songs that we're going to sing. It's got more of a Western feel, I would say. Give me a minute. Where's my book? Oh. 
There's a really wonderful event that happens in Kalamazoo most uh, <laughs> autumns, which is uh, the Kalamazoo Russian Festival, and we've been going there for a, a long time. I can't remember how long. At least, oh, certainly over 10 years. Uh, we don't go every year, but we, we go uh, frequently. And the last time we went, um, which was a, a, a year and a half ago in the fall, uh, we were just... By coincidence, we were lucky enough to meet um, a couple of singers from this place, Davidova. And uh, we just started talking to them, and they really liked us, and we, we liked them. And they said, hey, why don't you come visit us in this tiny village in Russia? And so we said, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> and uh, then we, d we did. <laughs> and that's how we met them, and that's where we learned that song. So, so there's several things about this village that are sort of integral to it existing. Um, one is that they're founded around devotion to the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, and they, they came to be, I think, in the wake of um, the, the fall of the Soviet Union um, when, you know, religion was then suddenly allowed and there was a, sort of a shortage of priests. Um, and we, we, we got the whole story of how there was... Um, the church in the village, I believe, was lucky in that it was sort of spared. Am I telling the right story? So, yeah. the church yeah. so in the village of Davidova, the church that had been there during the Soviet Union was repurposed to a textile mill and then a disco and a grain storage facility during the time. So the building was not ultimately demolished. At the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, Vladimir decided to build a village around this church. And previously, he had been in a rock band that toured with Deep Purple. <laughs> he and his friends decide to build this intentional community around the church. They start rehabbing the church. Oh, and, and they decide to rebuild the church first. And the way they tell it is, as we started rebuilding the church, the church was rebuilding us. And so this, this intentional community really grew out of the, the rebuilding of this church. They, they built new onion domes because those were long gone. They had no idea what the old ones looked like. Um, they took out the trees that had grown in the, in the summer chapel that were growing through the roof. Um, they took out all of the, the old flax that was lying on the floor from when it had been a textile mill, uh, and they really put everything back together, put in new floorboards, put in a new roof. And then they got to a point where the church was usable, and <laughs> Vladimir goes to the bishop and he says, Your Holiness, we've, we've got this church rebuilt. Could you send us a priest? And he said, What? You think you're the only one rebuilding a village after the fall? <laughs> I, I've got nobody. How about you? And so Father Vladimir uh, is now sort of the, the head of this community. And now that the church was in, in good enough shape to use and they were able to have services, then they asked, okay, well, so what do we do next? And that's the point at which they started hosting summer camps for developmentally disabled kids, mostly kids on the autism spectrum, and their parents from around Russia, uh, and, and integrating them into this community, giving everybody jobs, teaching everybody music and 
teaching everybody to folklore and folk dancing. Um, and so this whole community, there's a, uh, they continue to, to rebuild the village. There's a the woodworking shop there now uh, that Grigori is running. Uh, there is a dairy where they have, you know, some of the kids, you know, in like making cheese. If that's, you know, the job that you're, that you're suited for, that's, you know, what they're going to put you to work doing. And every meal is communal. Uh, there are services every day. Father Vladimir really likes the holy water. Um, it's like the flu ride at Six Flags. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think they see themselves as not just a place for, um, you know, uh, disabled children, but like really anyone who's in trouble. They're, they're very open. Like they had no problem. We called them, not called them, we wrote to them and we said, uh, can we bring 25 people to visit you? And they were like, okay, sure. Yeah, we'll work this out. Like they just, they just, they're open to everything and everyone. Um, and I, and the fact that I think Vladimir was a musician before becoming a priest and still is, not that he's not, um, is, is crucial to how they operate. They use art as therapy for the children and it's, it's not just that, it's just a part of everyone's lives. Um, you can't go through a day there, you can't go through a minute there really without um, seeing how music and, and drama and storytelling um, plays into life and they, they, it's just a part of their lives. And uh, getting back to the last song, you know, I saw some of you guys with the sheet music. How do you guys learn a new song? Is it always with sheet music, or what's the process? Well, it's a developing process. I mean, so actually one of the things that we've been trying to do over this past year, after having been in Russia and sort of learning songs orally there, is to try to teach songs orally here. Um, up, up until basically now, um, just because most of us come from, if not a music reading background, at least a music sort of rote learning background, um, we have learned from music. But Lauren wants to say something about this. Yeah, I just want to say I haven't brought my music to rehearsal in about a year, and it's worked out just fine. <laughs> a lot of stuff that we learn, we learn orally. Um, some of the music that we sing, especially the stuff that comes from the Slavs choir, especially yeah. that, that, that stuff is uh, written down. But um, a lot of it is, is um, just singing together, learning your part through understanding what other people are singing. You have to know the words, obviously, so we have word sheets and things like that. Um, both for those who read Cyrillic and those who do not. Um, we're not an exclusively Russian-speaking choir. In fact, most of us do not speak Russian. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a mix of things. And it really depends on the piece. Like many of us have been singing together for more than a decade, which is like actually quite remarkable. Like the, the kind of communication and understanding that you have when you we just know each other that well musically and personally is 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 special and it's one of the things that makes this group special um but the way that we sort of live in the songs that we've been singing for a long time is sort of a way that can't be represented on the page yeah and what's kind of the breakdown how do you guys decide what song to do is there a kind of are there leader Tammy? Okay, and 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 as far okay, so yeah, what is your role then, Tammy, when you're doing things? 
guess I would like to say that we're a benevolent dictatorship. Um, uh, you know, especially over the past year, I've been trying to incorporate as much stuff that we brought back from Russia as possible. But um, one of the things we've been doing over the past few years, since it's been possible, is is just to draw stuff from the internet. Um, because when this choir was founded, that wasn't really a thing you could do, and now it is a thing you can do. Yeah, we. Um, but pretty much, I mean, and it's sort of an existential question about this choir. Like, you know, we were we were sort of founded from the music of Freiburg, and then we sort of wandered our way towards the Siemiski folk songs, and then suddenly, you know, the internet existed, and we could get all Russian songs. So, what do we want to focus on? I don't know. We're kind of casting a broad net right now. Is there, where do you draw the line? Is there, is we don't draw a line. I guess we draw the line at the Russian language. I would say. What, what's kind of the most unusual Russian song you guys have in your repertoire? It doesn't have to be a segue, but... Well, unusual how? It depends. To me? I mean, the Simisky songs are the most unusual to me, uh, you know, as someone raised... What stands out most within your usual repertoire? What is the most unusual? Well, Chorts... Yeah, Sure, we have a few songs that are that are really, like composed arrangements of other songs. And in fact, like which we call Chort, um, is basically a pop song by a singer-songwriter um, from the modern age. Uh, so really, honestly, it has nothing to do with the folk music that we sing. Um, so maybe that's the most unusual. Let's do another song. Right, okay, so this is Vicerne Zastolne. It's written by um, a man named Alexander Rosenbaum, who's still living. He's sort of a singer songwriter, um, a bard, really. And the song is just about uh, appreciating, it's a table song, that's what literally the title means. Uh, it's just uh, loving what you have in your life, appreciating what you have. And uh, the first words are chort, chort means devil. So to the devil with those who would try to put us down, basically. We love the, the wind fresh from the fields, the horses, um, all of our friends who could not be here today.
What if, if anything, is there something about maybe a, a Russian kind of connection with music, either in general or within you know some of the communities that you guys represent that's different than American? Is it? Is there? I, I mean, is there anything kind of special that you feel happens? I guess in playing or learning these Russian songs and getting to know the singers, then you know any other culture what is it that kind of special uh, i don't know if it's the russianness per se I, I mean it it's not a coincidence that at least for me i had studied russian language before i ever sang a russian folk song so i, I had some reason to think oh a russian folk choir i'll go to that um but uh to me the special thing about the songs uh i mean, i love the language but it's the emotional honesty of them which really struck me at the time and which I think is what gives it at least part of its appeal to non-Russian speaking audiences is that there's a, there's a real, you, you can feel what the song is saying and it's saying it in, in such, a, such an honest, such an, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, direct. There's another synonym that I can't think of right now, but I think Lauren has something to add. Oh, I mean, I, I was just going to say that um, when we were in Russia, we sang a concert in um, the local, the, the city nearby the town that we were staying in. Uh, the city's name is Ulanadeh. And uh, when we got on stage, we were singing with, there were two other choirs that were there. And um, the three directors of the three choirs came out, and there was an amazing moment when all three directors and all three choirs sort of affirmed the way in which, you know, despite whatever else is going on in the world, despite, you know, politics or geography or whatever, um, all of us were coming together, all of us were singing this music, and in some ways, all of us were sharing in something that was um, really sort of fundamental to all of us. And I think that the, the thing that strikes me about this music and that strikes me about the trip that we took and the, and the, the way in which we communicate this, this cultural tradition to the world is that it's really not so different from what we believe in and the kinds of things that we love to do and um, that, 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 that it's very similar, that we're kind of all the same in some way. So I, I really don't think of it as something that's specifically Russian or specifically cultural, but 
that's this sort of shared bond through music. Yeah, and I have, the, I have this thesis that I'm developing about Siemiski songs in particular, but Russian folk music in general, which is that, someday I'm going to write a paper about this, but that, um, no, don't steal it. Just that Siemiski songs, and, and, and maybe Russian folk music more broadly, I mean, you know, Russian folk music has a reputation for being sad, and Russian literature has that reputation, and Russian culture has that reputation. And that's not for nothing, because, you know, Siberia is cold and hard to live in, and life can be bleak, and the, the Siemiski people had to walk 3,000 miles across the steppe to get to a place where they would be not killed. <laughs> and yet their music, if you listen to it, especially as a Western listener, sounds joyful. And in, and in a way, that is what music does for everybody, right? Like, it, it is a, their songs say to me, we have this pain in our lives, and yet we're going to sing a joyful song about this pain. And it's this sort of insulation against the suffering that you have. And that's, for me, what makes it special. Singing the blues. As, as you guys, as a group, um, what kind of, what sort of bonds do you find yourselves forming, meeting, you know, and playing these, you know, doing songs together so many years? Just talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, 
Oh, I was just... I, I met this woman online through OkCupid.com. And our second date, she was like, well, before we go out on this date, I got to do this choir thing. You want to come see it? I was like, yeah, sure. And I watched this, and I was like, oh, my God. I have to join this choir and, and, and keep dating this woman. And she stayed in it, so I, I joined it. And then it was like a face-off who would quit first. And, well, well, we're still doing it. Um, and I've made the best friends I've had in my life through this choir. Uh, it's amazing. Like, the more you sing together, the more you learn just how people are. And, and you, like, like was mentioned previously, we establish this nonverbal communication during the music that we make. Um, and they have now, and they have already provided our, our first two members of the next generation of the choir. So, good work. Yeah, I have a similar story to Todd. This is Mark. I was da- also dating a girl in the choir, standing next to me now. <laughs> and uh, she was like, I'm doing this choir thing. And I said, and she said, you want to come? I said, yeah. And I said, damn, I need to join this choir. <laughs> so here I am now. And yeah, I've also made some, <laughs> some great friends. <laughs> I'm like Mark and Todd. I, I just like the music, so that's why I'm in it. I hate all of you. I got my husband to join, but then he quit, so. He, he was a key vocal percussionist for us in uh, Siberia, however. I'm also married to someone that used to be in the choir, which is great. A metaphor that we all live with in this group uh, is one that's also a music terminology for the canon of folk music we do, which is the Russian word putz, which means path. It's actually cognate with the English word path. Uh, Sputnik, the satellite, has that little stem in it, put. Uh, Putin, who's the president of the uh, of Russia, uh, has that uh, stem uh, in, his, in his name also. Uh, and we all follow our own path through the song. So this finding a way of improvising, finding a way of relating, so being individualistic, but also matching the idiom of what everyone else is doing. In the same way, in Western music, one talks about a vocal line that you have. Uh, In the Russian folk canon, we are finding not only a line that someone has done before us and taught to us, we are finding our own way within that. That's our path. And so for those of us that have been working together for this time, we judge each other's journey in a affirmative way. We hear changes over time in one's path as one's life changes, as one's exposure to other kinds of music, as one's exposure to uh, other depths of Russian folk music and art uh, come in and out of play. So that's one of the things I'm always thinking about is the path. And just parenthetically, I, I don't think we've mentioned that um, the Simieski old believers from whom we take so much of this music, well, the word Simieski comes from the Russian root Simya, which means family. And, <laughs> and here we are, a family of Russian. I got all my sisters and me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Chernobyl, 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 Chernoby
Thanks a lot, everybody. Just let's give another hand to Golasa, who did a great job tonight. Thank you so much. 
And uh, that will be up at uh, live at thegrafton.com um, eventually. So check us out there and check us out on Facebook for other shows. Thanks a lot to Golasa. You guys were awesome. <laughs>